Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn over to Luke chapter 20, we are going to continue on in our study here. And... Um, I I love this study. If you haven't been here with us all along the way, we've been walking through the book of Luke. And uh, again, we looked at the question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? They answered that he was Christ, uh, the son of the living God, which was the right answer. Um, But that's a question that every single person on this earth has to answer is who is Jesus to us? Who is he to us? And uh, we've said along the way, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And that's the difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell. That's a big deal. And so we've taken this journey with Jesus, gone verse by verse, and now we've come to a place where we saw Jesus face a very stressful situation. Uh, Religious leaders confronted him, uh, asked him a a question, and he used godly wisdom. Of course, he was God in the flesh, and so he used this wisdom to basically silence them. And so that's what we saw. We saw that God's wisdom is the only wisdom for us to rely on. And of course, it comes from God. It comes through asking and seeking and and, uh, fearing God. We also saw that godly wisdom puts to silence the foolishness of man, which the Bible actually describes as man's wisdom. Uh, We we say that we are wise in our own minds and our own lives, but man, we make a mess of things. And it's only God's wisdom uh, that we need or we have in this world to help us uh, make any good and right decisions in this life. And so we, we saw that last week and we move forward this week and we'll see yet another religious group confront Jesus. And this is such an amazing thing because these were the religious leaders, right? We've said this all along. These are the people that were supposed to know what was going on. They, these people should have been the ones that were identifying this is the Son of God, this is the Christ. And yet these were the ones that were so blinded to that truth. These are the ones that were coming after him, trying to silence him, trying to put him away. And this next group is a group called Sadducees. And this group was a part of the Sanhedrin Council. And we'll learn a little bit more about them as we get into this message. But uh, again, once, once, one more time, he gets faced with a religious group challenging him, what he's doing and, and what he's all about. So let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for allowing us to be here and allowing us to worship you. God, you are an amazing God. You are a good, good Father. Uh, That question in that song is is such a powerful uh, question. Who am I? That that you would would come to this earth and walk among sinful men. And not just do that, but go to that rugged cross and shed your blood to pay for all of our sins. And God, that's so mind-boggling. It's hard to grab hold of. Lord, I know that we may hear that on the surface and it may not mean much, but I know that that moment, that second after we close our eyes in death and we see eternity for the first time, it'll hit us then. And so God, help us to have that that mind now. Help us to have the understanding now of how important it is that you gave your life for us and that we can live our life for you. And so Lord, we pray that you'd bless now in this message, just use me as a vessel I pray the words that come from your heart would just pour through my mouth, and Lord, that you would be glorified through it all. If there's someone here that's lost God, we lift them up before you and ask that they would give their life to you this morning so that they can spend eternity in heaven with you. Lord, help us all to receive your word 
and heed your word. And we'll praise you for it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 20, we pick up in verse 27. It says, Then came to him certain of the Sadducees, which deny there is any resurrection. Now, I'm going to clear this up first before we get going into this. But this group, again, was a religious group. Uh, two, two groups, basically, of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees accepted the supernatural. They, 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 they don't have any problem with that. But the Sadducees rejected it. They didn't, they didn't believe that there was anything supernatural and the resurrection fit into that. Somebody dies and they're going to rise again to life. No, we don't, re- we don't accept that. So that's this group. They, they were religious, but they rejected the supernatural. So Jesus was a major problem for them because he was doing all kinds of supernatural things and he was teaching about the supernatural, those things that are from heaven and those things to come. But he was specifically challenging them in this doctrine of the resurrection. Because again, this group had authority, they had clout, they had respect among the people, and they, their doctrine was spread that there is no resurrection. Once you die, then, then, then you're not going to be raised again. Jesus, again, was teaching completely opposite of that, saying that he would rise again after he, he was, he was uh, crucified. Because they rejected the resurrection, though, we're going to see that they weren't asking this question that we're about to see of Jesus in sincerity. They weren't asking Jesus because they really wanted to know what the answer was to this question. They were looking to make Jesus look like a fool in a very extremely hypothetical situation. You know, you've probably faced those in, in your life. Maybe it's come from your kids or grandkids. And they give you this really extreme hypothetical situation. Well, what if this, 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 and this, and this happened? Then would you let me do this? Or what if this, you know, what would happen if this? Jesus is going to get faced with one of these extremely hypothetical situations. But I want you to remember, again, because of where they stood in their belief system, in their hearts, and their minds, they're not asking Jesus because this was important for them to know. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to uh, make him look like an absolute fool among the people. So they could say, see, here this guy is right here. He's not worthy to listen to. So look what happens in the rest of it. In verse, uh, verse 28, it says, they asked him, saying, verse 28, uh, Master, Moses wrote unto us, if any man's brother die having a wife, and he die without children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. So... They are saying the the law of Moses says that here's this guy, he's married, and he dies, but without having a child. It's therefore his brother's responsibility to take his his sister-in-law, who is now a widow, marry her so that he can have, so he can raise up children unto his brother and his brother's stead or his brother's honor. So here goes the scenario. There were therefore seven brethren, seven brothers, and the first took a wife, and he died without children. The second took her to wife, the second brother, and he died childless. The third took her in like manner, the seven also, and they left no children and died. That's the extreme hypothetical hypothetical situation. They all, all seven brothers married this same woman. None of them had a kid. And so what's the question? Well, the woman ends up dying. They're all dead. No kids, no nothing. They all married her, though. 
Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? For seven had her to wife. Now, I, I can imagine, you know, sometimes when, um, I've shared this story before, you know, when you think that you've really got something down, you, you, you got, I mean, you're clever, you're about to, you're about to make somebody look like a fool, you're going to, you know, you're going to do something and it, and it backfires on you. I told you all about that one time whenever I was uh, at college and uh, we had, we'd been worn out and, and, and the, we were running 60-yard uh, sprints and, and the coach could tell that we were not giving our all. And so he says, he stops, the, stops the, the workout and he says, all right, whoever wins each you know, section, here's the catchers and pitchers, here's the, here's the infielders, here's the outfielders, whoever wins each time, you're done. You can stop running. And I was thinking, yes, I, clever. I, I, see, I've been kind of coasting the whole time, just staying in the middle of the pack. And because I was war plumb out and, and I thought, you know what? Here's my chance. I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of running. You know, I've told you all before, I hate running. And um, so here we go. I, my mind, clever. Here we go. Go. I take off. Whew. I mean, first, by far, first. I mean, I, I was flying. The coach stops the practice, has us all come circle around him, take a knee, and begins to chew on us because we were loafing. I mean, it was obvious who he was pointing out because it just happened and he was making an example out of me and I can imagine in my mind these these Sadducees thinking oh yeah we've got him I mean this this situation I mean seven seven guys marrying her and no kids they're all dead I mean he's not gonna have an answer for this we this is this is our opportunity just with that heart just with with that right there gives us point number one in your notes Fleshly hearts rob us from right relationships. Fleshly hearts rob us from right relationships. It was that intent of their heart. It was what was seated in their heart that robbed them of something so precious. Again, these Sadducees were so interested in their own agenda. They were so focused on what they wanted and getting what they wanted that they missed the precious opportunity to walk with God himself in the flesh on this earth. Think about that. They were so saturated with, well, this is what I want. This is what we want. Well, this is what we believe. This is what we think. This is how it should go for us. So we're going to try to trap the Son of God. They didn't believe he's the Son of God, but they were trying to trap God in the flesh just so they could get their way, just so they could have what they wanted to have. And they missed this amazing opportunity. But the same is true for us today. We can get so focused and so enamored and so saturated with me, 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 I, 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 that we miss him, him, him. Which we have to understand includes his body as well. As I said before, many times people try to separate their relationship with Christ and the relationship in his body. But that's like trying to say that Christ is a, is a, is a, a bodiless God. You, you can't separate the head from the body, which the Bible says that Christ is the head of the body. And so to have this right relationship with God, this amazing relationship with God for us today, means that we have this precious opportunity to, to walk with Almighty God, but also have this perfect, amazing, not perfect, this amazing fellowship 
with the body of Christ, the church. The sad thing is this. We can be acquainted with and we can be associated with. And I think even possibly be a Christian, yet still miss the precious opportunity of being intimate with him and having that, that, that blood-bought, completely spirit-united, precious relationship with the body of Christ as well. Let's remember in our text, he was bodily here on the earth. God in the flesh walking on this earth. And the Bible tells us that he's still bodily here right now in the form of the church. That's the body of Christ. So to be driven by the old nature, the flesh, to have that intent, the fleshly nature driving us, therefore be saturated with me, saturated with mine, saturated with, with, with those things, is also to miss the blessing, not only to be intimate with, with God, but to be connected with the body of Christ. If you're not in right fellowship with the body, I want to challenge you right now. Make sure your heart isn't flesh being driven by the flesh. It's amazing how this still works today. Two professing Christians. One church, same church. One is absolutely miserable. One walks away from messages absolutely empty, has nothing. Disgruntled with the pastor, disgruntled with the elders' leadership. One person. On the other, other, other side, one is absolutely fulfilled. One is walking away from messages absolutely uplifted and full or convicted or challenged or whatever the case may be. And it's connected with the pastors and elders and leaders. And, it, and it's, it's amazing, as I said a while ago, because you have to ask, what's the difference? I say, I believe it had the Sadducee laid down their agendas, had the Sadducee laid down their pride, laid down their selfishness and saw with spiritual eyes or saw with spiritual intent in their heart. They would have experienced the most fulfilling, the most amazing relationship with God possible on this earth. But they didn't. Instead, they challenged God himself because of their fleshly hearts. Because of where their hearts were, they were challenging God himself and his, his design. Think about that. Think about the fact that these guys were standing face to face with the creator. And they were challenging him to try to make him look like a fool. It was that intent of their heart, the fleshliness that was, that was driving them. What they wanted, that's what was driving them to do this to God, the body, right there in front of them. And again, the same thing happens today when, when that's in our hearts and we're driven by those things, our own agenda, desire. That's the way it, it works as we begin to, to push against God and his body. It's just the reality. It's the way it works. When you or I today begin to operate with fleshly driven hearts, it drives our decisions. It drives our actions, and we can really make a mess of things. So what guides the fleshly heart? What is it that's guiding us when we're operating in a fleshly heart? I believe two main things, sin and self, and they work hand in hand. Sin and self. 
what God's the spiritual heart then? When someone is not being guided by a fleshly heart, driven by a fleshly heart, what drives that person? What drives that spiritual heart? Love and the spirit. Not self, but the spirit. And not sin, but love. See, when we operate with a fleshly heart, we're hardened to God's will. We're hardened to God's word. We don't, we're not in it ourselves. We don't want to hear it in a message. We have a hard time engaging in it. When, when we're in a fleshly state, when a fleshly heart, God's word has not really much effect on us at all, if any. And in that state, please listen, because if you're not there, you may experience this one day, or maybe you've experienced it before. But in that state of that fleshly driven life, or fleshly heart driven life, we see negative. We hold grudges. We disconnect. We're pessimistic. We're critical. We go to extremes in the negative. And most of the time, we're miserable. If you've not been there before, then I want to encourage you to do everything you can do to to try to avoid that place because you are miserable in that place. When all you can see is negative and all you think about is is critical thoughts and and you're pessimistic and, and all that you're doing is going to the extremes and the negative, we already saw what fleshly wisdom looks like. In James chapter 3, I want to remind us, it says, who's a wise man and dude with knowledge among you, let him show out of good conversation, which means a good conduct or good lifestyle, his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying, here it is, and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but it's earthly, which means fleshly. It's sensual, it's unspiritual, and it's devilish or it's demonic. And then the Bible says this, where... Envying and strife is there's confusion and every evil work. For the child of God, that's a miserable place to be. And that's why I says, for the most part, you're miserable when you're being driven by the flesh. Now, it doesn't mean that your flesh isn't getting pleased. It doesn't mean that you aren't having those, those seasons of pleasing in your flesh. But they are just that, seasons of pleasing. You're not being fulfilled in your life. But on the other side, When our hearts are spiritual hearts and we're being driven by that spiritual heart, we're submitted to God's will. We're submitted to God's word. We're engaging it. And our lives look like this. We begin to operate in love. We forgive. We forbear. We're optimistic, yet realistic. We're gentle and kind and most of the time full of joy. That's what the spiritually full heart, that's what the spiritually driven heart looks like. James chapter 3, same one, it begins to explain what godly wisdom, someone being driven by godly wisdom looks like. It looks like this in verse 17, but the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I want to read a chapter in the Bible this morning. Because it gives us a great comparison, I think, between the two of what we're looking at this morning. And it's Ephesians chapter 4, so just bear with me. I'm just going to read through it. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring, making every effort, that's what that word means, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Because there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called on one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us, even though we're all one, every one of us has been given a gift, or given grace according to the, the, the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascendeth, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descendeth is also the same that ascendeth up far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. And this is what he gave. He gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Here's the reason why the gifts were given. For the perfecting of the saints, the, the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. Here's, the, here's until when this is supposed to happen. Until we all come to the unity of faith to the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a perfect man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know what that says? That means that we are in this process of God making us mature and growing up in Him, coming closer together as we grow up in Him. That's what it's about. Not only that, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with wind, every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow into, up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. What this is saying is that there's a design that God has put together. It's the body of Christ. Each person has an individual gift, an individual part in the body's unity. And every part, when it works effectively, causes it to strengthen itself and increase the body in the edifying of itself in love. Verse 17, therefore, or this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old life, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is after God, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good... To the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, which is loud arguing and stuff, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for an, uh, uh, an offering and a sacrifice of God for a sweet-smelling savor. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. 
For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And as every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You, you saw that while ago. It says, having fervent charity among yourselves, charity will cover a multitude of sins. This doesn't mean that we just say, oh, well, it's no big deal. It means that when we're operating in love and we have this fervent love for each other, that we can't hold ill will against each other. That love covers and forgives a multitude of sins. Just as Christ was that, that perfect example of that in, in his life. When we're operating with a spiritual heart, that's what our lives look like. That we don't pour out bitterness and wrath and we don't argue and clamor. But there's not, there's not this, uh, this, this separation from the body, but there's a unity within the body whenever we're driven by the Spirit. And it's all precipitated by love. It's all driven by love. But there is a major difference from the situation in our text and our situation today. The body of Christ then was actually God himself in the flesh, and he was perfect. He was sinless. He was without flaw in any form or fashion. So when we think about the body of Christ then, he was absolutely perfect. And when we think of the body of Christ now, we are only perfect in Christ's righteousness. That's the only perfection that is in this body, is the righteousness of Christ. Aside from that, we are a bunch of saved sinners. We are a bunch of people that are in the grace of God, have been given the grace of God. And again, the only perfection that we have is the perfection of the righteousness of God, of Christ on us. So what does this mean? It means that each of us are still imperfect in ourselves. It means at some point in time, you're probably going to do something that I don't like. I'm probably going to do something. Well, let's just not say that. I have done something that you don't like. This is the way it is. Because we are imperfect people. But when love and the Spirit is pervading and, and driving, the Bible says love covereth a multitude of sins. When we were driven by that, we can still experience the unity of the Spirit. We can still experience the, the, the strength that Christ has given to the church through that unity. But it can't happen when we're operating with a fleshly heart. We tell every new member that we're not a perfect church. I very clearly tell them, being I'm not a perfect pastor. And that's not by desire. That's not by boasting. We don't boast in that we're not perfect. I don't boast that I'm not perfect. It's not because that's what we desire. That's just by default. That we'll make mistakes in this flesh. Because the flesh wars against the spirit. But I always say this, we're a striving church. And I'm a striving pastor. I'm trying to do what I can do to follow Christ. And if you're expecting perfection in this church body, you're going to be looking for a long time. And if you go looking for perfection in another church body, you'll be looking until the end of time. Some people have said before, if you're looking for a perfect church, when you find it, don't join it because then it won't be perfect anymore. I didn't say that. I said some people say that. <laughs> the reality is this. If, if, 
if we aren't daily focused on operating in this spiritual heart, if that's not what we're trying to do, deliberately seeking and operating in godly wisdom through being saturated with his word and submitting ourselves to his will, here's the truth. Please listen. We can get to a bad place really fast. And unfortunately, I've seen it time and time again. It, it, it can happen like that. If we're not deliberately trying to stay in the right place, in the right heart, and we're not striving up to Christ and trying to stay saturated, even if it's difficult, even if, if we're not feeling it, just trying to stay saturated and engaged in the Word of God and walking in the Spirit, you can get to a bad place really, really fast. And the enemy knows how to facilitate that and, and the flesh embellishes that because it's part of the old nature. The world makes it easy for that too. And so when we get to those bad places, it's hard to get out. Because the enemy is right there, the flesh is still pushing, the world is, is making it easier. And so that's why the warning is to not get there. What does that bad place look like? I mentioned a few things a while ago. The bad place is a negative spirit, disgruntled, at odds, disconnected, spiteful, jealous, envious, holding grudges, unforgiving, bitter, angry, speaking evil, gossiping, slandering, using destructive speech and all of this is done and used in hindering the kingdom of God. Again, most of the time this happens when we turn the focus to ourselves, just like the Sadducees did. If you're struggling in part or all of your struggle is what you aren't getting or something that goes against what you want. If you're focused on you, if others, particularly within the body of Christ, are your problem, beware. Beware. The Sadducees were in a very wrong place. And it was because of where their heart was. They had fleshly hearts. They missed it. They were being driven. They were focused on themselves. They were focused on their way. They were focused on their desires. And they had no desire in that place to be living sacrifices. They, didn't have, they had no desire in that place to put others before themselves. In that place, they had no desire to serve in humility and in love. It was about them, their prominence, their way, their will, their agenda. Again, they had their beliefs. They had that that. That, that pattern, they had that agenda, they had all that there. And when Christ and his program, his preaching, his kingdom, his following, his following challenged all of that in their life, they aggressively challenged him with this extremely hypothetical question, situation. And there's something else I want to see that they had here. Not only did they have fleshly hearts, but they also had fleshly mindsets. And point number two, fleshly mindsets blind us to eternal truths. See, the sad thing is, is they were missing this relationship with Christ because of their fleshly hearts. They, they, were, they were all about themselves. They were challenging God because their hearts were wrong and all that kind of stuff. But it was also affecting their mindsets. They had a fleshly mindset and it was blinding them to eternal truth that would set them free. That would help them in their life. The truth is this, fleshly mindsets in our lives even still today lead us to several different things. Among many things, I believe it leads us to presumption. It leads us to pride. 
It leads us to selfishness. It leads us to fear. It leads us to failure. And it leads us to fault finding. When we have a fleshly mindset, this is what happens. Again, we become selfish. We become prideful. We lift ourselves up. We begin to operate even in fear and not faith. We begin to fault find in other people. We begin to presume and assume things with that fleshly mindset. Most of the time when our hearts are fleshly, our minds will be too and vice versa. Most of the time. Now, there are times that people can have a, a religious mind and a fleshly heart. And I think that we see that all the time. Matter of fact, we ran into that this week. We were uh, in, a, in a, some of you may have taken, there's like Uber and Lyft. We were taking a Lyft. And uh, we were, uh, I started talking to the driver and, and just asking him about his life and uh, if he, you know, went to church. And uh, he began to talk about, um, he, had, he had gone to church some and he goes when he can and, and basically kind of explaining this religious mindset. Uh, but when, when the further the conversation went and sharing the gospel and stuff, it, it was very clear that, that he had no relationship with Christ. I asked him that. And uh, he, he just, that just wasn't what he was into. And then began to explain some of the reasons why he wasn't into that. And, um, but it, it, it became very clear. Again, this, this guy had a religious mind that he was, you know, he was probably okay. He hoped that he was okay because he had gone to church a few times. And yet he, he didn't have a spiritual heart. He was still absolutely fleshly and lost. And um, again, I think that we see that all the time in our lives. The reason why a fleshly mind is so dangerous, I believe, again, among many things, there are three things that we can see. Number one is it takes us back to that old man. As a Christian, if you're a Christian, having a fleshly mindset takes us back to the old man or the old mindset that we were actually saved out of. And so that's a very dangerous place to be is to go back to where we were redeemed from. It also skews the right perspective. Whenever we have a fleshly mindset, we can't see things the way that God wants us to see them. We see them the way that we want to see them or the way the enemy paints the picture or the way the world paints the picture. But when we have a fleshly mindset, it skews our perspective. Number three, when we have a fleshly mindset, it causes us to miss the most important spiritual aspects of life. And I, I don't know about you, but that's, that's, a, that's a sinking thought right there. That if the most important things in this life are not the things that, that we're wearing or we're driving or we live in or we, we, we get or gain or anything like that, but the, the, things, the, things, the most important things in this life are the spiritual things, the things that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us that are invisible because they're, they're, they're eternal. They're, 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 these things are so important. And to miss those most important eternal things in this life is one of the greatest tragedies that we can have in this life. Think about this. Think about going through your whole life and only having temporal things, never gaining anything eternal, never having anything spiritually significant that's going to carry over to eternity. And so when the end of this life comes and you have absolutely nothing to carry over, what a miserable waste of years on this earth. So when we have fleshly mindsets, we, we miss the most important spiritual aspects of life. Romans chapter 8 says this, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind 
is enmity against God because it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, he tells Christians, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you are not a part of Christ. Remember uh, Ephesians chapter 4? Look at that again in verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over, there's that word again, to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. Again, talking to Christians, you've not learned Christ to live like that. If so be that you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which, is, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. As I close this morning, the Sadducees, because of their fleshly minds, were blinded to the eternal truth of Christ, of Messiah, the anointed one of God. They were blinded because of their fleshly minds. And not only were they blinded to Christ because of their fleshly minds, but they were blinded to the resurrection. And they say, well, what's the big deal about that? Because they were blinded to the resurrection, they would be robbed of the resurrection. They wouldn't experience it. What does that mean? That means eternal hell. It means eternal hell. Not, not a thousand years in hell, not a million years in hell, but eternity in hell. This is the only shot we have. This is the only life we have. This is the only opportunity we have, number one, to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. It's the only opportunity we have to get it right, to make sure that we go to heaven when we die. One shot. And in that same vein, this is our one shot to walk with spiritual minds and walk with spiritual hearts and grasp the eternal truths and grab the most important things of this life. It's our only opportunity in this life to grab that. If we aren't careful, the years will continue to click by and that's what will happen to us. If someone is set against the Lord and his church as the Sadducees were set against him, there's a real concern about the state of their heart and their mind. They say, why? Because the truth is this, you can't be absolutely for something and absolutely against something. You're either all for it or you're against it. Jesus said that. You're either with me or you're against me. That's what Jesus, those are Jesus' words. So what do you do? If that's where you find yourself or that's where you're struggling right now, I would run to this altar this morning. I'd say, God, I don't want to be against you. 
I, I, I don't want to have ill will. I don't have bitterness. I don't want to have resentment. I don't want to have these things against you or your body. I, I, don't, I don't want to have that. I want to have a spiritual mind. I want to have a spiritual heart. I don't want to miss anything. I, 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 want to, I want to experience this precious relationship with you and your body, with the head and the body. My question is to, to us Christians. If you find yourself bordering on where the Sadducees, and you've got to be completely honest about it. If you find yourself bordering where the Sadducees were, not having that spiritual mind, not seeking spiritual things, think about this. What are you missing out on? And I know in a fleshly state, a fleshly heart, a fleshly mind, it's, it's hard to grab the value in that. I completely understand that. I, I get that. It's hard to say, I don't really care. I, I, I don't know that I care what I'm missing out on in this place. It, it's, that's the real fleshly feeling. But if you find yourself there, make a move. Come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to miss out. I, I'm feeling like I, I, I don't care, and, and that's wrong. I should be engaged in you and engaged in, in the body. I should be engaged in the eternal work, and I'm not, God. I, I'm missing something. And so I encourage you to do that. Because along with that comes all kinds of blessings. All kinds of blessings. I, I can't explain. I couldn't, uh, the, 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 the time wouldn't allow to talk of all the blessings that comes along with engaging in a relationship with Christ and his body. Loving him and loving the body. It's amazing. So if you find yourself not in that place, I encourage you to come this morning. Say, God, change me. Change me. I find myself similar to where the Sadducees were, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to have a fleshly heart and a fleshly mind. So change me. If you'll stand this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to encourage you to come as the music plays after I pray. Be sincere with the Lord. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be in this place again. Thank you for your word. God, I ask that you would move now. Lord, as you've challenged my heart, I pray that you would challenge, you would have challenged every single person in this room's heart. Lord, that we will be people that are seeking to be spiritually minded and to be, have that spiritual heart set. Lord, that that's what would be driving us in our life. And God, you'd be glorified and honored through your body, being one, just as you prayed we would be, operating in love, just like you commanded us to. Lord, being effective for your kingdom, because we're empowered by your spirit. And Lord, if there is someone here today that has rejected you, they've never accepted your son as their Lord and Savior, I pray they would understand this morning what we've said, that your word is very clear, that if if a person leaves this life without accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they're going to spend eternity in a place that's reserved for your enemies, for Satan and his, and his angels. The Bible, the Bible tells us it's called the lake of fire. Lord, I pray if someone's here and they're like that, that they would come to this altar this morning and they would say, what do I have to do to be saved? God, today would be the day of salvation for them. I ask you to just move now in this invitation. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.